Hello there, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is episode 200, can you believe 200 of this fucking nonsense that we've got to? Unbelievable. My name's Stephen Hill, I hope you're very, very well. And joining me this week, as um, we'll explain why in a minute, but he was here a few weeks ago, he did a grand job, he's back again, his name's Sam Slight, I'm going to let him introduce himself now, which I've just sort of introduced you, but hello Sam. Hello, Steve. Thanks for having me back. Um, thank, and thank you for saying I did a grand old time. I mean, you know, it's the one episode of Right Act I haven't listened to because I couldn't bear to <laughs> relive that performance. <laughs> but then but then I watched PMQs yesterday and actually I think comparatively I did all right. Yeah, you did. Uh, well, un- Sam, another thing is that you are in a job for a few weeks where the Boris Johnson isn't in a job. So again, something different uh, for you because um, basically Renfrew's gone to 2000 Trees this weekend. And so he kind of ran away. He's been moving house and stuff. I'm not going to get into it. It's not my place to go into all of that. But basically, he's gone to 2003, so he's not here. And then, um, being the responsible adult that he is, he's gone to watch Pearl Jam in Europe for two weeks. So he's just not here at the moment. So, um, you know, he told me that on, what was it, Tuesday evening? Wicked. (laughs) But, (laughs) Um, fine. Uh, But yeah, like, well, I did know he was going to Europe anyway. But, um, you know, you know it's been... A bit of a kind of stressful time recently, so he's gonna go off and um, recalibrate and watch Pearl Jam loads. I know some people will be going, "Oh, that sounds like fun," and some of you will be going, "I can think of nothing worse, and it would stress me out more." I'm looking at you, Adam Valley, um, but <laughs> Sam is going to be with us for the next couple of weeks. So um, thanks very much, Sam. Thanks for stepping in at the last minute and uh, and doing us a solid. It's a pleasure. Thank you, mate. Good, good to have you back. You did very well last time. And I'm sure you'll be doing very, very, very well from now on as well. So this week on the show, we're going to be reviewing new music from, and you will know us by the trailer, Dead, More Mother, Code in Cambria, and Bad Breeding. Plus, both of us went to go and see Knuckles of Ice, didn't we? Mm, yes. That, that happened. We'll be talking about that in a minute. But before we do, um, I'd just like to say a very, very big thank you to our friends and sponsors at Arctan Gent Festival. Obviously, they will be a bit busy if you're listening to this podcast as it comes out because they also do 2,000 Trees, which is happening this weekend. So I'm sure we'll have a little chat with Renfrey about how 2,000 Trees went uh, when he gets back from that festival. But Arctan Gent happening from the 17th to the 20th of august 2022 go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets and you can get 10 percent off of uh as i always say a very very reasonably priced ticket for for those guys and see the likes of i mean i've gone through the lineup loads of times before opeth cult of luna tesseract mono zinlada godflesh Eamon ra maybe she will leprous perturbator Enslaved, McCluskey, Devil Soul with Soul, Lightning Bolt, Caspian, Boss, The Arm, Jamie Lenman, Paul Bearer, loads, loads and loads of good bands. You've, you've, you've frequented Art Town Gent a few times, haven't you, Sam? You know what? I've only been there once, actually. I, uh, so I, I think I only heard about it, uh, m- m- you know, for my sins in uh, 2017 when uh, a certain band announced they were performing their final show there. And I was devastated I couldn't be there. Um, and then for work commitment reasons couldn't go in 18 so 2019 is the only time i've been but bloody hell i you know i'd be happy to go on record as saying it's the best festival i've ever been to it's just absolutely really yeah. incredible yeah i absolutely love art tangent despite <laughs> standing in the rain watching you know quite obtuse and heavy bands for a weekend but you know i feel like that's it, my aesthetic isn't it i feel like it kind of works doesn't it like if the, if the weather's going to be bad you want to watch something sort of weird 
and sort of yeah. depressing in the, in the bad weather. I don't want to go, as I am going, to Duran Duran. It's going to be sunny this weekend, so I'm going to see Duran Duran. It will be a review of Duran Duran next week. Like, by the way, how excited are you for that? And you just want to get this. Like, I just want to get this week out of the way now so I can just talk about Duran Duran next week. But um, I always manage to get Duran Duran into the sting for the sort of Art Tangent um, sponsorship thing, which is, you know kind of my brand really but you know anyway yeah but uh yeah but that that is you know the weather you want at a festival like this but hopefully fingers crossed it actually might be sunny at art tangent it's been an all right summer isn't it it has been so far yeah it's been uh, quite balmy although um obviously absolutely roasting the other day and i'm so glad i shaved my head in advance of it because i with that with that bloody mop i used to have i would have died at work it was horrible 31 degrees it's too much mate see now this is the sort of content we need sam because it's the sort yeah. of content we wouldn't get from renfrey who refuses to sh- to, to even tr- to trim his hair a millimeter in no, any uh, weather ridiculous yeah, but he's like samson he'd lose his power <laughs> maybe um <laughs> anyway arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets put riot act atg in the checkout not sure i gave the code before riot act atg is the code in the checkout and you get 10% off of that ticket and we look forward to seeing you there. Right. Also, I should say, big apologies, you know, as I've already just sort of alluded to, our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast is where you can sign up for exclusive content. Although that content hasn't been that exclusive or existed um recently but uh while sam is here he is very very kindly agreed to do a little bit of patreon stuff with us as well we're going to record a writer's review which should be going up at some point over the weekend on ultra by depeche mode because i mean you're wearing a depeche mode t-shirt as we speak here sam i know that you're a massive fan of the band everybody i think listening probably knows how big a fan of the band i am and in the aftermath of Andy Fletcher passing away, we thought it'd be a good chance to talk some more about Depeche Mode and um, someone did suggest that record. So we're going to be doing a little bit more Depeche Mode stuff and hopefully some other things as well. So that should be coming up soon. You looking forward to that? Talking about Depeche Mode? Surely. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, revisiting Ultra has just been, (laughs) I would say a joy uh, and we'll probably get into that when we, you know, discuss the album, but uh, it's been an experience um, and I have relished it despite the... um, glum overtones that surround mm. that record great record what a fucking great mm. record what got an interesting story oh, i love that band i love them um anyway before we move on so there you go um, if you want to go to have a little look at patreon.com forward slash right act podcast then feel free to do that but uh we should say last week don't know if you heard this sam last week we <laughs> the little jokers that we are we said that knuckles of ice had reformed and that we were going to go and see them in kingston on monday and that's just happened that gig and you idiots you all believed us you believed that you fell hook line and sinker thinking that there was a band called knuckles of ice you morons you fools we fooled you because there were there is no there is no knuckles of ice there is no knuckles of ice it actually was the reformed heck doing their first show since i mean as you sort of suggested 2017 at art tangent was their last show hecker back and they played a tiny little room the fighting cox in kingston on monday you and i both went down there um before we start talking about heck and how exciting it was i want to give a big shout out to creature who we have spoken a little bit about on this podcast who i thought were a really fucking cool support band 
for for that night i mean i've listened to um their eps and the, the latest single they put out which is absolutely brilliant and you know i'd sort of described them a bit as a sort of every time i die esque hardcore band but they actually are quite different live i thought yeah i mean yeah to listen to them as you say there is that every time i die i mean i'd say maybe maybe sort of got a phenomenon era every time i die it's really yeah. chaotic it's very groovy but yeah when they perform i mean it's a lot it's a lot tighter than you'd expect it to be because you'd think it would be a bit more ramshackle based on Mm. the recordings not that the recordings are you know slouching at all i mean uh, anyone listening if you haven't listened to anything from creature uh they're a fantastic band they're absolutely amazing um especially their latest dp haunt uh which does have um the single steve just alluded to lines on it their latest single which i think is the best thing they've released so far it's just a mesmerically good song it's wicked um, yeah. Yeah, I thought they were on ferocious form. Um, I thought they're absolutely fantastic. I'd actually seen them uh, just three days prior at their EP release show at the Flapper in Birmingham. Um, it was essentially the same set. I'm pretty sure the set list was exactly the same. But um, despite so uh, in Birmingham they're playing on home turf. You know, it was their show, and mm -hmm. I think they got on as well at the Heck show. And I think that just speaks to how much they're connecting with that audience and the quality of their output. Quite frankly, they were much more metal than I thought they were going to be. Mm. do you know what i mean like i thought they they, they had an almost a sort of early death metal edge to some of that some of that stuff reminded me of um so they're definitely those sort of hardcore like like you say chaotic hardcore songs but live i was like oh there's there's a grit a bit more kind of metally grit to that that gives it like a little bit of a sort of you know um uh diatribes napalm death or even kind of uh, some sort of early like a late 80s early 90s earache death metal -y type thing to it there's a little death metal edge to it which i was like ah oh, that's really fucking cool but you know i'm not talking like you know modern super produced death metal i'm talking about like really early kind of raw screen bloody gore sort of death metal i i thought that kind of mix of of hardcore with a tinge of that without going too full into that like db entombed style mm. thing I, th I was like this is really really fucking cool like what a weird but excellent mix of stuff i mean i love both of those things so obviously yeah i mean it just it kept the set fresh and exciting and you know it's really for a band that have only got what they've got 12 songs out to date you know there's a real real kind of dynamic flair across them you know you've got quite melodic bits in something like uh, all um, the first track off the new EP. And then, yeah, as I say, there's that death metal tinge, you know, Tom, uh, the drummer, doing blast beats, you know, every now and then, but just mm -hmm. kind of not focusing on them, not making them the centerpiece of the song. They're just a flavour that's added to it. And James, um, to my knowledge, don't think he does it on the EPs, but doing death growls as part of his kind of yeah. vocal performance. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's one of the things where I was like, oh, he's really going for that, like, sort of, you know, proper death death metal tinge thing it was wicked i thought they were really good like i thought they were really really good would go and watch again definitely if you haven't um heard creature and that sounds like your sort of thing then um yeah go and check them out they are very very good but really obviously everyone was there for the return of heck now we did a writer's review on instructions by heck which i think uh, is actually been put out for free so you can go and listen to that if you want to hear what Renfrew and I think about heck and I think you know over the years in various forms on various podcasts whether it be heck or baby Godzilla or knuckles of ice um I've spoken about how great that band are and it's been a while hasn't it 
It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's been mm. a long time. I mean, as I um, said to you in the aforementioned Adam Vallely, uh, <laughs> I... Uh, threw myself into the mosh pit uh with gusto for the first four songs i mean i'm only little i just get bounced around i don't really mosh i'm more of a mm -hmm. sort of energetic pinball i think but um after the first four a, songs, a it, weapon to be used within the mosh pit rather oh, than an actual component of it you're too kind <laughs> I, i'm <laughs> just there, i'm just there to bring a bit of enthusiasm you know because it can get a bit dour in there but uh after those first four songs came over to you and adam and i was just like I can tell it's been five years since I've seen a band like this. Like, it feels like a long time and I am desperately unfit. But yeah, I mean, the last time I saw Heck was at Firebug here in Leicester, which is kind of a like fine, like rock bar with a decent upstairs and an all right sound system. And that, you know, I can still vividly remember how chaotic that was. I took, um, at one point uh, when Matt jumped off the stage, took the head of his guitar into my uh gentleman's area just because of where he landed oh so, yeah. oh dear fucking hell get a lawsuit in america for that <laughs> um oh yeah i think there's a carcass song about those sort of things happening um i had forgotten how fucking mental that band are like i hadn't i you know i knew i was like oh yeah they're gonna go mad aren't they but then Having seen them a bunch of times, I can't actually remember when the last time I saw them was. I think it might have been with Black Peak. Was it with Black Black Peaks or Reading? Um, would, would have been one of the last times that I saw them. And, you know, so I I knew and I had seen them in various different venues over the years. And I knew that it was going to be like kind of wild. But I had actually forgotten just how sort of scary it is being in a confined space with those four gentlemen is really really fucking scary and the thing that really impressed me so we'll go on to in a minute about just the, the wild hilarious shit that went on but there were times when i saw them back in the day more like when they were baby godzilla i think where i saw heck and i walked away going that was the most exciting thing i've ever seen all those songs just completely fell apart because they were going mental I was really impressed, particularly because it was their first gig back, at how fucking tight they sounded. Like, they didn't really lose. There were no big stops. And I remember there used to be, like, they'd just stop in the middle of the song and everyone would have to be like, hold on, we need to reattach, you know, my shoulder to my body and I need to, like, pick my amp up because it's in, the, in a reservoir th like two miles down the road from the venue or whatever. But... There was none of that the other day. I think there might have been like one occasion where all everything got tangled up and they just had to stop for like a second and then they were back again. But they felt tight and I was like, oh, I can tell what song this is. They sound good. They sound like a good band, but uh, one of them is stood behind the bar. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, as I say, you know, five years on, um, I mean, I can't speak for everyone there. I'm certainly greyer and fatter than I used to be, but it's like, heck have never been away as you say it was just so tight it was it was as if they they it's like they haven't not been playing together for the last five years it was yeah an un unbelievable performance they um everything just came together so well uh and the, oh i mean to be honest the even if it had all fallen apart the mood in the room was so jubilant it wouldn't really have mattered would it I think that was the other thing as well, actually, because, again, I've seen them play where people have just been cowering in the corner and being like, oh, no, no, I don't want to get my fucking, well, like, as you found out to your cost, Sam, uh, get my testicles like smashed to pieces. Um, but, but... Didn't need them anyway. And I've seen, so. 
Didn't need them anyway. Who needs testicles? <laughs> Pathetic in this day and age. Um, yeah, you uh, you see them and you're like, oh fuck, I'm gonna start. Like, I I made I made the point of going. Do you know what? I'm gonna be a contrarian and I'm gonna lean cu- calmly lean against the bar for the entire set, no matter what is going on. And that proved more difficult than I thought it was going to be because Johnny actually did grab the mic and just walk through the crowd right up to me and st- stuck the mic in my fucking mouth as well. And then him and Matt basically sort of crowd- crowded around me and just sort of threw their guitars over. And I was just like sort of trying to stand there and nod my head and look calm and be like, yes, this is a good gig. But I was terrified inside. But everyone else was losing their shit, including you, mm. including Renfrey. I have to say, like, shout out Renfrey for... I don't know what was going through his mind when um, I think it was Johnny was led on the floor and he went and squatted over him. And I just thought, no one needs to... No one needs this today, surely. That's too fun. It wasn't even squatting, you know. It was... Um, it's what the MLG gamers from back in the Halo 2 days called teabagging. <laughs> yeah. Even more vulgar. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Honestly. very it wasn't very nice to see that. But um but the gig was amazing and I thought, you know, you you got there's not a lot of places to climb up on them. The, the Fighting Cox in Kingston is basically a small room with a bar. Mm. And you know, having seen them at download and stuff, and you go, oh, they're at the mixing desk, and oh, they're at the ed- edge of the tent, and oh, they're up on the monitors, and they're, you know, you know, what I mean, they're up on the speaker system, and they were all over the place. They still managed to just cause total chaos. Like Tom bringing his drum kit into the middle of the room at one point. I think that there was a there was a sort of um, there was like a uh, what's it called, like a bar. Um, yeah, like, like a sort of holding beam, the, yeah, yeah the, above the. And Johnny got up on that and put the mic over it, and then was just sort of lying on top of this bar, like a sort of like a cat waiting for his tummy to be tickled, whilst also playing the guitar. They got on the bar. Johnny went outside at one point. I sort of tried to follow him outside. He just sort of went into the street outside the venue and was gone. I think Matt went back into the bar where there were, you know, just people enjoying a quiet Monday night pint with their friends at one point as well i don't know what happened in and around that bar but again you know the music carried on the whole way through i was fucking so happy to see them but back like they're a band who you know i don't think it's um i don't think the reformation of heck is going to lead to them suddenly getting the jews that they probably should have got they're from that school of bands like palm reader um, who basically came along before the kind of, I guess, the the pre-creeper, if you want to call it, boom of kind of good alter- alternate alternate or alternative rock bands and metal bands in the UK. You know, Employed to Serve and Venom Prison and Creeper and those bands are doing very well from themselves. But the bands from the generation slightly before that, of which I think Hecker won, they just never got their dues. And I don't really see that changing. I don't think Heck are going to come back and suddenly people are going to go, oh my God, this band are incredible. And then they're going to get bumped up and suddenly be headlining like, you know, bigger venues. I don't see that happening. They are a small underground cult band for a small group of people. But for that group of people that were there the other day, having them back is just so fucking excellent, right? Oh, it mean it just means the fucking world to have them back, man. Like as you say, it's it's a small but it's a very dedicated set of people who just you know will throw themselves into anything and everything. Heck, do whatever they choose to do going forwards. Um, and I mean, actually, think you know, uh, obviously we've been over how insane the show was. I mean, it was like you know Dillinger esque. I know that 
comparison was always bandied about when they were active, you know, until 2017. But I think, you know, it's pretty, pretty on point. Um, I mean, I was curious to see, are they still going to be like that? You know, five years later, I mean, are they going to be able to keep that up? I mean, they absolutely did based on the strength of that show. Um, I mean, yeah, who knows where heck go in future? I mean, if they continue as they, uh, as the template they set out in instructions is, yeah, they're never going to get any bigger. But I don't know, they don't, I don't know if they strike me as a band who are aspiring to be absolutely massive. I think they are just four blokes who want to just play really fucking good music. No, no. I mean, I mean, yeah, me neither. I think even even back in the day when, you know, they were doing Brixton with Limp Biscuit, you know, and they were this sort of, they were a bit of a hype band for a minute, right? Heck, mm. like, or when they were Baby Godzilla. There was a lot of hype around them and it was, and the people that were hyping them were the sort of people that will drop something straight away. I mean, just as, absolutely no shade on you know the people that i'm about to talk about at all because obviously like you know i i write for metal hammer so but i did say oh you know i'm going to the heck show can i do a review and metal hammer were a bit like you know the guys at metal hammer were a bit like doesn't really feel like that's sort of relevant to us anymore and that's you know i think that's a real shame and it's fine because we'll uh, we'll happily cover them like do you know what mm. i mean as as much as possible because i know there are people that do that do really fucking care about that band so we'll happily cover them if you know nobody else wants to but um but yeah like i just think that you know it it was a reminder to me like i kind of thought back and i was like yo and i was like this with limp biscuit at brixton this at download this at redding like it, it's such a mad like the fact they got there in the first place is mm. kind of mad but it is a bit of a shame that you know for me I, that was as good as i'd ever seen them and they that you know they, they got to a point where they they were writing much better songs and they were getting better and better live and then the other day i was like if they had just stayed together and carried on like you know they could be fucking a couple of extra albums in now that could be fucking like phenomenal not that they weren't fucking phenomenal the other day but do you know what I mean? Like they feel like they're really tight and it does feel, it feels a shame that there are a whole scene of those bands from, you know, I mean, we've spoken about Baby Godzilla, Palm, like Palm Reader are the obvious one. Yeah. I think to me, like the fucking absolutely the obvious one. And, you know, I guess you chuck in like Feed the Rhino who did all right, I suppose for that time, but there are a whole bunch of, you know, Ghost of a Thousand, there are a whole bunch of these bands who kind of came along like bastions have just returned you know just reformed and again they were a band that i was like they should be massive didn't happen brotherhood of the lake like you know all these bands who were kind of pre people really giving a shit about proper good heavy british music like i feel i feel for them a little bit because i think had they have arrived four or five years down the line that kingston show maybe would have been a venue or do you know what i mean it could have been three four times the size mm. of what we of what we saw but i don't know we'll see man i hope they make some new music and i hope they kind of stay together for a bit even though i don't know if their limbs will be able to handle it for for too long yeah completely agree uh i'd just be fascinated to see what the heck do and even if it is abandoning the kind of the chaos and wild energy of of the the live shows because yeah i mean surely it's not sustainable i mean we've seen so many bands split up basically for that reason is that they just can't carry on touring like that um i think whatever they do i'd be absolutely fascinated and you know as you say there's this very small well not very small that sounds horrible but there's this small but very very dedicated set of people who are going to stand by heck whatever they do 
Yeah, absolutely. And so they should. And so should you. They were fucking great. I was like, God, what a great band. And some of those songs, we should say, by the way, you know, some of the songs that they played, mm. again, I was like, I had listened, I think probably like, I listened to Instructions when we did the Right Ears review on it. I listened to it again a couple of days before the show when I knew I was coming. And so, you know, I haven't listened to them loads and loads, but you are reminded of just how fucking good that album is. Oh, like, that album in particular is just fucking amazing. It's really, really great. So I mean, great. whipping out good as dead second was just like, mm. oh, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, wicked band. Anyway, um, they're back. They're not knuckles of ice, you gullible prick. The heck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely no need to do that whatsoever. Uh, anyway, let's talk about some records that we have been listening to. There is a new album out from, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead. It's called Eleven Bleed Here Now. Here's the band, Trail of Dead, funnily enough, talking about absolutely massively manic, chaotic live bands. Trailer Dead, when they came out back in the day, they were an, just a complete mess. A big fucking heap of garage rock blobby loveliness. I mean, I love them, but I do remember seeing them and being like, man, those guys are not going to be able to do this for very, very much longer. And yet here we are, kind of 20 years down the line, with the 11th trailer dead album uh the follow-up to 2020's the godless void and other stories which made both renfrey and my top i think maybe top 10 albums of 2020 certainly got in my top 10 i'm not sure if it made renfrey's top 10 but it made his top 20 definitely um love that record i love trailer dead i love the fact that they always chuck these kind of curveballs at you i think this is quite a curveball this record but before we get into that um as you've never had the chance to Nail your colours to the mast in a podcast format, Sam. Trailer Dead, you a fan? What's your relationship with them like? So uh, my relationship with Trailer Dead actually starts with yours and Renfrew's review of the last album. I'd, I'd, I'd heard the name, uh, but I had no idea who they were and I'd never really mm-hmm. taken the time to actually bother to even investigate. And then, you know, you, you I think it was you described them as kind of what you would imagine the the Beatles might have sounded like in kind of the 21st century sort of thing. And uh, I thought... Yeah, yeah, I, I say yeah. that a lot. Yeah, they do. That For me, they're the most... They're what... When people go like, oh, I know Aces would be like the Beatles. I think I say this all the time. I'm like, well, no, I think they'd be more like Trailer Dead. Four singers, um, swapping instruments, being fucking weird. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so I listened to uh, The Goddess Void and Other Stories. Absolutely loved it uh, to the point where... Uh, I think it was only about probably not even a month later they were playing the Dome uh, in London. Uh, went to that show. That was the last show I saw before the uh, the lockdown. Actually, was it really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I went to the show as well. It was good. It was good. very good. Yeah. Really, really good. And you know, again, I mean, not as chaotic and manic as they were in their early days. This is where I tie it in with Heck a little bit, but they have found a way to do many, many different things, Trailer Dead. Um, I'm interested to know, have you gone back to any of their earlier material, the kind of Madonna, Source Tags and Code stuff? Uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, off, off the back of um, Godless Void and then the live show, I was, yeah, really, really keen to investigate. So um, I've listened to all of their albums at least once. Source Tags and Codes comes out maybe every other month uh and mm. catawall from world's part is on our playlist at work and basically gets played every day 
So, nice. Yeah. That's good. Yes. Good. Good. Well, I'm glad to be of service with Trailer Dead because I absolutely fucking love them. And the thing about them is, is that I basically respect every single thing that they've ever done. And I like the fact that, like I say, you know, they will chuck curveballs at you. Um, this record coming off the back of the godless void which really like massively reinvigorated my love for this band because i think as we said in the review at the time you know um nine and lost songs i hadn't listened to as much i mean certainly you know going from madonna to the century yourself in 2009 was like every record then i was like oh my god amazing 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 and then tower of the dead i didn't get straight away i sort of listened to lost songs a bit and i think like nine were like passed me by a little bit in 2014 but yeah the godless void really massively reinvigorated my adoration for this band and so i was super duper excited to be getting a new trailer dead album and i have to say it's certainly not as immediate um as the previous records and like I say, they'll always chuck a sort of curveball at you. And I don't think you should ever, even within the space of a record, you shouldn't expect two songs to really like relate to each other that much, let alone, you know, entire records off the back of each other to sound anything like one another. But um, not as immediate, much more kind of progressive, I'd say even psychedelic stuff happening on this record is a thing that they have done. They touched a lot on in the past. That isn't necessarily my favourite flavour of every time i every time i die of, of trailer dead but i do like all of their flavors to some degree i think what i'm trying to say is is i think this is for my person i don't think it's worse but i think for my personal taste this is a slight step back from the godless void i don't know how you feel about that i uh feel like you've reached into my brain and just stolen all my notes because i completely agree 100 percent. you know um yeah, it is a more psychedelic, uh, I'd stop short of saying ponderous, but it's definitely a more embellished album than the previous one. I'd just say there are maybe also points where it gets a little bit indulgent, perhaps. I mean, it is a double album. So. It's a double album. It's a li- it's, it's quite long. Um, it's 82 minutes. And that's not, like... it's 82 minutes. So it is quite long. And I thought, you know, again, the Godless, you know, it's, it's what is it, 18 songs? 21, I believe. This 21 one. songs yeah, yeah. yeah okay right so i oh, know it's more but the next one's 18 so um yeah it's so it's, it's 21 songs and the last album was it felt a lot more concise mm. and i don't know like for me there seems to be a lot of bands releasing double albums at a latter point in their career I th- I, like for me i think if you're going to do a double album probably do it at the start of your career when you've got a lot more ideas and the people aren't quite used to you know when it feels like a bit more of a surprise there's nothing i would say that is particularly surprising about this record because i think trailer dead have at least touched on all of these things previously and i there's moments on this record that i think are amazing um the psychedelic stuff like i mean golden cell does that great gig in the sky yeah wailing female vocal thing you know it's very very floydian floydian and you know, there's like the sort of the tribal drummings on Taken by the Hand, I think is fucking brilliant as well. Um, I think it opens pretty, pretty well as well. I mean, that kind of long distance to hell is quite a harsh sounding song. And I was like, oh, we're going to get a real kind of rough and tumble, um, punky trailer dead record. And obviously we don't get that, but it is good. This record, it is good. Like it's, it's definitely good. Um, yeah, I just think it is 
like you say, slightly more. Um, it outstays its welcome. I wouldn't say outstays its welcome, but it is there. It's maybe longer than it needs to be, as opposed to the last record where you were just like all killer, no filler, in and out. Oh my god, I remember this band; they're amazing. This doesn't really do that. No, um, definitely. I mean, I'd I'd struggle to cut things off. You know, you'd have to be quite a brutal editor, bar some of the interludes. I mean, I know they're you know roughly kind of fifty seconds, kind of every other song, but it adds up, and I don't think enough of them do go to enough different places and to be honest sometimes they don't really segue between the songs very well it feels like you've got so um actually for example between uh golden sail and taken by the hand you've got a lifeless melancholy which is this symphonic interlude but then golden sail as you say very floydian i mean it is great gig in the sky and to be honest in the verses really reminded me of us and them uh off dark side of the moon as well with the kind of mm. vast instrumentation enveloping the vocals you know it feels like they're screaming to get out um it's then followed up by Taken by the Hand, the the epic of the album, the 11 and a bit minute one, um, which, mm-hmm. to be fair, when it started with the big crashing chords and the Hammond organs, I did think, hang on, is this in the flesh? Like, where's Roger Waters? Yeah, there's so much Pink Floyd on this so record. So much, man. So yeah. much. And, and also, like, even the, 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 the even the little electronic bits, I was like, this is... It's on the run, isn't I mean, it? Yeah, yeah you, are, you are directly going... We've been listening to Dark Side of the Moon like quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot. So, um, you know, like, but, and uh, it's such an, like, you know, it, it is such an obvious comparison. Like, mm. it's such an obvious comparison that we can't really avoid it. It feels like almost sort of so obvious that you shouldn't say it, but then it's so obvious that you sort of have to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it would be, you'd be kidding yourself to not compare vast put. Po- vast quantities and portions of this album to that 70s Pink Floyd especially that four album curve you know the post Sid Barrett stuff (laughs) yeah but um I think there's some fantastic songs on here and then well so it's a double album I don't think if you're listening to it digitally there's a clear moment where you go from part A to part B I mean I guess it's after Taken by the Hand however if we are taking that as the midpoint and the break between the album I think it's fair to say side A is the stronger of the two I think by the time you get to the end of the second second album I mean Salt in Your Eyes I listened to that and I did think Steve what are you doing to me was one Liam Gallagher album not enough because this is an Oasis <laughs> song well they do do that like to be fair to Trailer Dead again yeah like I, I completely agree and I have no like you know I obviously have no problem with that at all but I think I mean you go back to So Divided mm. which is you know god like 15 years old now but I remember listening to that and being like oh my god they've made like parts of that uh, it's like a Britpop album like mm. full blown and I kind of love that Trailer Dead juxtaposed all of these styles so manically in all of their work i mean that is one of the plus points for them as a band i think i mean when you go from a song which is really slight and dreamy like penny candle and then you go into this sort of riffy zeppelin-y hammond organ-y song no confidence which comes straight after it you go but those two things just shouldn't work back to back at all like they are the total antithesis of each other and yet because it's trailer dead and because there doesn't appear to be any barrier to what they do at all they kind of always seem to make it work but i do agree i think that on this they have um they have pushed 
the sides out so wide that it's kind of exhausting by the end. It, it is, yeah. It's, I think exhausting is the right word for it. You know, I, I respect Trailer Dead and this album in particular massively. I mean, you, you can't deny that this is ridiculously eclectic and so dynamic and so varied, but it's almost at the point of, I don't know, perhaps being a bit unfocused. And to be honest, for me, I think, you know, don't get me wrong, I really, really like this album. I think the biggest mark I would make against it is that I think it harks back to that era of prog that was so indulgent that it inspired the punk revolution because people were just getting sick of it. I feel like they could have done with, well, maybe not done with. I mean, it's trailer dead. They should be able to do it they want, as any artist should. But I don't know. I think another pair of ears on it, just to be a bit more judicious with the editing, would have really benefited it. I think it's not necessarily flabby, but it's a bit bloated. That's fair. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think the highs on this are are high. You know, there may be, uh, I mean, they're so, when they're good, they're, they're so good. I mean, mm. you know, this is like a, about an hour and 18 odd minutes or something. And then when you look like source tags and codes is, I mean, the LP release of source tags and codes is like 15 minutes long, which is quite long, mm. right? Which is quite long. And, you know, the there's, um, you know, 14 or 13 if you look at the there's a, there's a bonus track which i always count um at the end of, of source tags and code so like 14 songs over a sort of 50 minute period and that is like the apex of their mm. career and that is you know for an album of you know quite exhausting the, their their style jumping back and forth from punk to psychedelia to indie to garage rock to like do you know what i mean it's quite an exhausting thing to just be like oh you know, to do all of that over the course of 50 minutes, like I think Source Tags and Codes, as much as I love it, feels like a long album. Mm. Feels like a lot because there's so much going on. And when you extend it by another half an hour and the quality isn't as high, yeah. it, 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 is, it is quite an undertaking, this record. So, you know, I would say that's a slight black mark against it. I don't, and again, I mean, I don't, I actually don't think, on every Trailer Dead album, I'm always like, there's at least something Mm. which you could whack on source tags and codes and go, that's as good as anything on here. Um, there are a couple of songs that aren't far off, but I wouldn't say this is them at their absolute A game at all, to be honest. No, I agree. I think, yeah, it would be it'd be over the top to say... So, like, you know, I, I really, really like Golden Sail. Uh, I really liked Contra Mundum as well. So that was a great song. They're not up to source tags and codes. But, you know... Not every band knocks it out of the park every single time. And as you were saying, you know, the last album was such a, not a return to form, but it reinvigorated your your fandom of them. I mean, I think it would be mm. greedy to expect them to, you know, keep such a consistent level of quality, especially across 82 minutes. And, you know, you're talking about an exhausting listen that goes through several genres. I mean, we're both just utterly infatuated with Dose Your Dreams by Fucked Up, which is a mm -hmm. very long double album that goes to a lot of different places and is tiring. But as you say, there is that consistency of quality that I just don't think is quite here on Bleed Here Now. Yeah. I mean, look, a great band, undoubtedly. And if you are sitting there going, oh, well, I'll give that a swerve. Like, you know, I've never listened to this band, I'll give it a swerve. I mean, if, if you want to give this a swerve, I mean, I, <laughs> absolutely do not start with this album. No. If you're interested in Trailer Dead, I would say, this is one thing I would say. Do not start with this record if you've never listened to this band before. You need to start with Madonna, Source Tags and Codes. I mean, I would even say So Divided, I think, is is great. Or even the last one. 
I think are really good places to start with this band. And I think at some point you would go to this and go, oh yeah, this is a good, interesting record. And I think again, yes, it is a good record in in the main. It is an interesting record. It's just quite long, and I think it's not. Whereas with ten, I would have gone, oh yeah, this this now sits at the kind of higher if you're doing the sort of worst to best of their career this sits at the sort of higher echelon of that i don't think this does i think this is a kind of mid mid tier maybe lower mid tier um record for them but it's still good because they're great yeah just a great band doing you know decent things um you know i'm fascinated to see where they go next because that's as you say the thing with trailer dead you don't know what to expect from them you know they can just turn their hand yeah. to anything and sometimes it's more successful than others yeah i wouldn't be surprised if the next album turns up and it's just absolutely fucking incredible because yeah. you know they tend to go in these kind of waves they've had a bit of a roller coaster of a career but you know great band anyway great band anyway bleed here now 11 by and you will know us by the trailer dead is out now you should probably go and check that out right here's an album that came out last week but i desperately 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 wanted to feature it on the show because i think spoiler alert i think it's absolutely fucking astonishing more mother jazz codes the eighth solo studio album from the maryland-based poet rapper and activist the follow-up to her very very difficult black encyclopedia of the air album that we reviewed on this show last year i don't know if you heard our review of that record sam if you remember it if you've heard that record if you've got anything that you want to add to what i've just said uh, feel free uh, i don't think there's anything that i want to add to uh the the intro you've given i do remember listening to your review sadly i can't remember the context of it beyond you two saying incredibly difficult but my god there's a lot to mine here and so i did go and listen to it and that was very much the reaction I had. I think More Mother is clearly just one of the one of the great underground artistic forces on the planet at the moment. And I think mm-hmm. I think this album continues in that trend. Yeah, I mean, I thought that last album was incredibly avant-garde, incredibly like dense, harsh sounding, weird you know really really uh, was it like four tracks and each song was like w- uh, lengthy yeah, yeah. and it was a long album and it felt like a barrage of kind of ambient avant-garde jazz free form experimentation and it was hard work mm. right and i was like fucking god love more mother because you know that's some difficult shit to put together and this is clearly good but i haven't gone back to it but i was really really interested in more mother as like you say an artist and somebody who you know eight full-length albums since 2016 very very prolific oh absolutely you know it's worked with people like billy woods did now billy woods like really really fucking cool right really fucking cool person great personality really really interesting and um for me this record is is bold and very jazzy as well and not instantaneous throughout not as easy but it certainly feels much more palatable than that last record and because of that i feel like i've got a better handle on it i feel like i understand it a bit better i feel like it speaks to me more and as a consequence, I enjoy it a hell of a lot more. 
I agree up to a point. It's definitely a, an easier album to tackle. I mean, it doesn't... It demands attention, but it doesn't grab you by the throat and pin you down and say, you know, you are going to mine every second out of this album, uh, whether you like it or not. I think it's um, it's an album that you could listen to quite passively, which I think is reasonably... Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not au fait with all of more Mothers over her, but uh, it feels like reasonably new territory for her as an artist. Um, I mean, maybe you can correct me otherwise if I'm wrong on that. Uh, it's Well, it's certainly the most kind of... Mm, yeah classic jazzy sounding thing that i've it feels like a really nice i mean the whole point of the record i think is is it's a kind of love letter to to black Mm. music of sorts right so i mean you know just off the top of my head as i listened to it in the background for the first time i noticed you know nods to john coltrane miles davis billy holiday outcast you know i mean there's loads of those little things dotted around it and it feels it's got the like to me it's got the feel and the sound of a record that's come out now that has um a sort of timeless quality to it oh undeniably that's undeniably yeah i think i think this is an album that uh, i personally am going to be going back to for years and finding new things in you know i'm not a great well i'm not an, an authority on jazz at all i mean it took me years to get on with sketches of spain by miles davis and uh kind of blue and bitches brew and everything and i haven't penetrated much more of the jazz world beyond that i like it but i don't know if i could really speak to any authority on it however um i think not only is this album just fascinating to listen to i think it as you say it's a great history lesson you know there's ode to mary that's got this beautiful kind of minimalist elastic piano on it and i then looked into it and it's you know it's about mary lee williams the american jazz pianist um uh, over 100 albums to her name so a hell of an artistic force Mm. Yeah, I mean, mate, there's so much stuff on this. And, you know, I I love when a record uh, is specific about... Like, I think we said this a bunch of times on the show before, but, like, speci- specificity... Specificity. Being specific. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> being specific in your music, I think, is something which is... You know, I think people love to try and go, oh, I wrote this song and it's kind of vague about what the... the quote unquote issues that I'm going through so everybody can relate to it and it's like well I don't really relate to sort of vague nothingness mm. do you know what I mean but with something like this it's like you've given me oh, an entire world for me to go I don't know what you're talking about there but you're definitely talking about something super specific I'm going to go away and find out what the, what that is like you know I am um, name drop clang I spoke to Tom Morello and I remember saying to him like the first time I knew I heard the name Malcolm X was on a Rage Against Machine. So I was like, who the fuck's Malcolm X? And went away. The first time I heard like Zapatistas, I went away and I was like, you know, who is that? And I went away and looked it up. And then I was suddenly like, ah, and then you go back to the record and you're like, ah, this all makes sense now, right? And I love shit like that. I love having all these fucking Easter eggs and going, you know, on the surface, Jazz Codes is a a lovely record mm. to listen to right it's really kind of it's really warm it's really analog i think some of the performances on it are amazing i mean i was gonna say picking out individual songs on this record feels like a bit of a kind of folly really but i have said you know there are bits like melanie charles's vocals on golden lady mm. i think is 
uh, sublime those kind of woozy trumpets mixed with that ambient electronic bit on meditation rag um is brilliant the electro bass line on rap rap zazm is incredible and that doomy heartbreaking feel to blues away that kind of almost there's a sort of sort of a zelanada feel a little bit to that song as well and there's that drum and bass part on barely woke mm. and all of those things really really stand out and i was like god this is fucking excellent this is put together fucking expertly it's brilliant it's broad it's interesting it's perfectly produced but then you listen to it and it draws you in to go what was that line that they just said about you know about um about rags and suddenly like you know, too much memphis blues what exactly are you talking about and then you go i'm gonna i'm gonna look this up and then there's a whole fucking education you go back to the record again and you're like you listen to it almost with a fresh pair of ears I, like i love this i love it i completely agree i mean it's yeah it's really um stopped me in my tracks i mean as i say this is not my kind of area of expertise at all the um kind of I suppose it's quite an avant-garde look at maybe Afrofuturism, I guess, through the lens of previous genres that have built up, as you say, kind of mm -hmm. the black uh, musical exports of the last century. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely stunning. I think it's fascinating. I don't think I've got a handle on it, and I listened to it five times in the last 24 hours. I can't wait to dive back into this. Yeah, sorry, I, ch I, ch I, ch I chucked it at you pretty fucking late <laughs> it's in the day. quite all right. So, so I'm glad you did. Fine. It's wicked, this album. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a song called April 7th where she says it was never the drugs and then goes on to just explain with such deliberate, sort of laser-pointed species again specificity with you know what the power of music is and it's unbelievable it's unbelievable i i, I really love this record it reminds me do you know what it reminds me of a little bit as well it reminds me a little bit of the film do the right thing have you ever seen that film uh, i have yes yeah and i mean i, I think see the comparison yeah i think as i get older that gets sort of climbs further and further up the list of my favorite films ever i think it's fucking brilliant it's the best spike lee film i think um and that has so many different characters in it and they're all so sort of rich and rounded and it's such a great celebration and also warning uh, you know it's, it celebrates sort of soul and hip-hop and jazz and just black culture in general and it looks so clack you, you watch it now and it doesn't look like a film from the 80s it looks like a film from the 50s but yeah, it also feels like a film from the 80s. And yeah, it also feels really kind of modern and relevant for today. It's brilliant. And it's got this kind of through line narrator, Samuel L. Jackson's character who plays a DJ in it all the way through it. And there is that kind of that spoken word thing which keeps coming in on this record, which sort of ties all of these ideas and all these things together. And um, yeah, like listening to it, I was like, this reminds me more of that film than it does any other record that I can think of off the top of my head. I, I think it's a spot on comparison. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't immediately go to that film, but I can't argue against it. I mean, for me, it felt like, uh, I don't know, like I've taken a trip over to New York and I've wandered to 133rd Street on Harlem and, you know, I've just left a smoky jazz club and I'm looking up at the metropolis and just thinking, uh, you know, just feeling the richness of the history of these multiple genres. Mm. Yeah, man, it's, it's it's really good. And I would say as well, right, so we've done bits and bobs of jazz 
uh, over the last couple of years. We've chucked a couple of jazz albums in here and there. Um, and, y- you know, like, I think I sort of said this with the Sons of Kemet album. I was like, if you go, nah, fuck, I'm not listening to jazz. Fuck you. Like, I'm not listening. You lads, you know, knock yourselves out. But I am not listening to jazz. And I remember doing Sons of Kemet and going, if you are one of those people who are like, nope, I don't like jazz. I don't like this. Like, nah, it's rubbish. Like, it's pretentious, whatever. I remember saying, Sons of Kemet, you should listen to that, even if you don't like jazz. You should give it a go because it's not what you think jazz is in your head if you have a very sort of stereotypical view of what you think jazz is. And I would absolutely say the same about this record. I think this is a jazz record in in name only. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, it is a jazz record, but there is so much more to it than that. And it's one of those rare records that just opens up a whole other world of stuff for you and there is i think there's a very good chance that someone who has paid no attention to this sort of thing whatsoever at all could put this on and suddenly go i've now got 50 to 100 records that i'm now going to go and check out and listen to and discover and fall in love with on the basis of you know the 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 occasional touch point that is present on this record i think this is fucking brilliant this record fucking brilliant could not agree more could not agree more it's amazing Mm. yeah i think this is an absolute like i think i probably will be talking about this again come the end of the year i think it's well good um and i'm no jazz aficionado at all do you know what i mean Mm. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, I'm kind of caveating my my opinions by saying, oh, you know, I don't really know that much about jazz. But I mean, this album makes me want to learn more about it. It, It's really got its uh, its hooks into me. And I just think, yeah, what a fascinating and fantastic, just so well executed. And when you look at the track listing and see how many collaborators there are on it and how many guest spots, you know, you'd think, Mm -hmm. oh, is this kind of a bit ambitious? Is it maybe, I don't know, trying to do too much? But it all works so sublimely like you you know you mentioned the people's kind of um preconceived notions of jazz is very pretentious i think there will be people who will give this a surface level listen and think oh yeah just pretentious tosh there's no pretense to this at all every single person who's involved in this album knows what they're doing and deeply deeply cares about the stories they're trying to tell yeah proper fucking passion project this is proper passion project really really wicked uh it's called jazz codes it's by more mother and it came out last week if you're listening to this podcast the week that it comes out it's out basically go and listen to it uh something else which has been out a little while that we haven't actually spoken about but a few people did ask um i don't think renfrew was that keen on <laughs> talking about a code in cambria record which is fine because i am more than happy to talk about the new code in cambria album vaxis 2 a window of the waking mind is the name of it no <laughs> after just going nothing pretentious about this uh this jazz album Ooh. i'm afraid <laughs> uh, just the the title alone sets should set alarm bells ringing but look code in cambria the 10th studio album from the prog rock emo pioneers the follow-up to the vaxis part one album shockingly uh i like that but it did come straight after the color before the sun which is probably now my favorite ever coheed and cambria record i've got to say so you know it meant that i didn't go back to vaxis one as much and i do remember being a little bit like ah you know they've gone back to the amory wars thing and i you know when i didn't know any differently i always liked coheed I mean, I say always, there was a little period in the sort of early part of the 2010s 
where I was like, you know, Year of the Black Rainbow and stuff, where I was like, not really feeling this so much anymore. But the run of albums they had in the sort of early to mid noughties were fucking great. But the truth is, to me, Code and Cambria doing the cars is way more interesting to me than Code and Cambria doing Rush. And for all the chat about them being this really kind of mad, weird prog band with loads of longsword and all this stuff going on, I think they've always written really good, concise singles. They always have. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah. Yeah. do you oh, know sorry. what I mean? They have, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you listen to like A Favour House Atlantic off uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. I mean, you got... Um, Devil in Jersey City off Second Stage Turbine Blade, Welcome Home. I mean, I know Welcome Home is quite grandiose and a bit pompous, but well, it's still a banging single. Banging single. And you've got The Suffering and you've got 10 oh, Speed man. on the album as well. Like, you, you know, you've got Feathers on No World for Tomorrow. They, they, they write big fucking poppy rock bangers. Mm. They do. They always have. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you saying you prefer them being the cars to them being Rush. I mean, broadly, I would say I, would, I prefer Rush certainly at this point in my life, I bloody love mm-hmm. Rush. I love a bit of pretense, <laughs> a little bit of a Shakespearean, uh, how, you know, <laughs> much ado about nothinging. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when it comes to Coheed, I think, uh, as I think we'll be discussing on this album, I think they're better when they're, when they're not being prog. I think they're better when they're being a rock band, like an, almost a pop rock band at times on this album. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, absolutely, definitely. And, I, you know, look, I gave this album a very good review in Metal Hammer. You might have already read my review of it in Metal Hammer. And I said that, you know, basically, I love the colour before... I didn't say this in the review, but I love the colour before the sun. And I was like, ah, I wish they would kind of carry on doing that. And then they kind of didn't with Vaxis. But, you know, they still wrote a few singles from it. And then when I knew they were carrying this on, I was like, well, I guess that that dream I had of them just doing kind of short, concise pop rock bangers um probably ain't going to do it so much but this feels like something to 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 sort of sedate and to please everyone like this feels like a real people pleaser of a record because i think it's got it's got all the stuff on it basically isn't it yeah it's got both the flavors yeah it's got the two sides of coheed that we're aware of to this point anyway um yeah i mean it's a it's a halfway house between yeah the, the kind of overblown and very self-important, um, the story of Coheed and Cambria and the Amory Wars comes before good songwriting side of them. Might be a little harsh to say, but, you know, I think, yeah, well, I think, you know. I think they've done that in their time. You know, yeah, Year of the Black yeah, Rainbow, yeah, as you so. say, want, want the best. I wasn't massively no. keen on Vaxis 1. I much prefer this. I think this is a great album. Mm. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I think it, uh, yeah, sometimes lets the story get in the way of the songwriting. But then on the other side, you know, you've got... I mean, in particular, this three-song run of comatose shoulders and a disappearing act. I mean, that's just... Mm-hmm. Uh, shoulders, so uh, to quote Renfrew Deadman, peek behind the curtain, in my notes, you know, I've done little notes of kind of, you know, trying to kind of have points to bring mm-hmm. up about each song. Shoulders, I've just put in capital letters, here we fucking go. I think Shoulders is up there with the absolute best things Coheed has ever written. That riff. Oh, man. That fucking riff is amazing. And yeah, like, I mean, I would say, so, because when I put it on, the Embers of Fire comes in and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's a, like 95 seconds and it's really kind of, you know, it, all the kind of pomp and all the sort of drama and all the sort of overblown stuff. Like, it is just an intro into the into the record, but I was like, ah, are you going to do this all the way through? No, like, I won't like that. And, you know, I'm not saying it's bad, but I was just like, well, I'm not sure how much I'm going to like it. And then Beautiful Losers comes in. Mm. Brilliant. Lovely stuff. Fucking banger. 
three minutes 35 i mean the first those songs you were talking about um three minutes 35 three minutes 10 three minutes 24 three minutes 29 they're all short concise quite catchy poppy big rift big chorus rock and roll bangers they're great they're all fucking great i mean yeah you're right shoulders like really stands out because that riff is so wicked and then they got the doo-wop bit in it as well like it's just like it's that is a fucking all-time great coheed and cambria song i think absolutely what a tune i'd I'd put that up there with the title track of uh in keeping secrets silent earth i'd put it up there with welcome home the suffering all all the singles that we've already outlined i just i can't wait for their tour with thrice later this year because i'm just going to bloody shout my head off when they do shoulders (laughs) yeah i'm gonna shout my head off of my shoulders is what i'm gonna do yeah i might just do that um so look you know the the first half of this record is absolutely brilliant. I think it's absolutely fucking brilliant. And I think, broadly speaking, although I'm not sure, like, the, the heights it hits on those first four songs is is really, really mm. high. And I don't think anything on the record quite ever hits the heights of those songs particularly again. Even though shit like, you know, Bad Man, I think, is good. Um and uh then we get to the sort of the 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 proggy suite at the end so i think we just move on to that really because i think broadly speaking first half of the record really really great if you like kohi doing big tunes then you're in for a lovely time if you miss the prog rock stuff you might have to wait out a bit for me i am less interested in the prog rock stuff particularly now having said that i kind of i think there was a point where um on the last song window of the waking mind which is like what's it a six part yeah eight and a half minute like yeah five six part sweet yeah yeah there was a point where i actually kind of burst out laughing because i was like i cannot believe how much you have chucked at this like i admire just like the absolute balls of them to go here's every single musical genre in history turned up to 14 and made bigger and double tracked on the guitars do you know what i mean like it is it is so mental like that whole last bit is like i think andrew lloyd webber would listen to that and go fucking that's a bit much in it do you know what i mean it's mad yeah i mean i i, I do feel like i owe trail of dead an apology actually um this is this is just <laughs> this is the kitchen sink and and the rest of all the piping and the furniture just throwing a house at it mm. isn't it it's just everything in this mm. song uh, and yet i actually think uh this finale window of the wake in mind i think it's one of the stronger moments on it you know despite just slagging off their story-driven prog approach i think it's fucking brilliant i mean you know like it's undeniably brilliant it's undeniably fuck it you listen to it and you're like wow mm. like you are going they are really you're really fucking going some for this and i I think that if you are gonna be a quote-unquote progressive band and you are gonna do these kind of pompous overblown things fucking do it like one thing i hate is when bands go oh yeah you know we made this album and it's like so you know people it's gonna shock people at how kind of over the top it is and like you know when ghosts say they're gonna do that they do Mm. it on that new ghost album that's what they've done. They haven't fucking, you know, sort of scaled back at all. They haven't like 
gone, oh, maybe, oh, we're not quite sure. Maybe that's too much. They've just gone, nah, fuck it. Chuck everything at it. Chuck the whole fucking world, the whole kitchen sink at it. And I, I really, you know, I really fucking admire that about them. And I think Cody and Cambria have done that times 10 here. And you can't, you can't say that that's, Oh God, like, you might not like it. You might not stylistically like it. You know, you might be fucking Johnny Rotten and go, no, boo, it's over the top and pompous and blah, blah, blah. But that is their intention and they have absolutely nailed their intention. And it is a, like, it is a great song. I mean, I was like, God, it's fucking, you know, it's, it, it, it's, if it, if it was a film, it'd be Avatar. <laughs> be Avatar 3D remastered on a roller coaster. But with with more but it's story, good. so with more story, yeah, yeah, with more story, yeah. I mean, look, it ain't my favourite bit from it, but I, I, I appreciate it. I do appreciate. It. I always get to this bit and I go, oh god, because every time I listen to the record, I'm going to listen it all the way through, and I get through those first few bangs. I'm like, it's fucking wicked, and then I know like there's a slight dip coming, but I'm still like the record, and then we get to this bit, and when you get to those last three, sort of from kind of ladders of supremacy. Rise, Natasha, cut the cord. Wind of the Awakening, mind. I mean, you're looking at a good, nearly kind of 20 minutes of a 53 mm. minute long record for those three songs. And I always get to that bit and I'm like, oh, this is where the kind of sweeping strings come in and the big kind of bombastic overtures and all this kind of stuff. And I'm always like, this is not my favorite style. But by the end, I am like, fair play. You did it, guys. You actually did it. Yeah, they definitely win me back round. I mean, I, to be honest... Um, I, I would put this in the in the higher end of Coheed albums. I think this is inconsistent, certainly. I think the quality does dip, as you say, around... I mean, for me, it's basically after the Liars Club and it doesn't really come back until Window of the Wake in Mind. Uh, I think there is a marked dip in the second half. But, yeah, by the end of it, it's just like... I just love being in Coheed's company. It's just... It's hanging out with, like, another really nerdy friend and, you know... And listening to Rush and also Aha at times. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, look, I love Curry. Where would I put this in there? I'm going to get their back catalogue up in front of me now and see where I put it. So I, yeah, okay. So, I mean, Should I tell you where I'll put mind stuff yeah, yeah, go while, for it, while you're looking. So I would say In Keeping Secrets is my favourite. Um, mm-hmm. In part due to nostalgia, I think, because it was really the first one where I discovered them. I mean, I'd heard Good Apollo 4 before that, but Keeping Secrets was the one that I really gravitate towards. I would absolutely have the colour before the sun second. I think it is a stunning record. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd probably put this third, to be honest. I'd have this well eye. Fuck me, that is high. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'd have colour before the sun first these days. Um, Good Apollo and Burning Star 4 Volume 1 would be my second. I think in Se- Keep It Secrets of Silent Earth would be third. And then I genuinely think it would be between this and no world for tomorrow for my number four which considering you know we're what 10 albums in now mm. um is it 10 or like one two this three is ten. four yeah 10 um considering we're 10 albums in over a 20 year period for them to be bringing out you know their four fourth or fifth best album so it's exactly it's either exactly halfway bang in the middle in, in fifth place or actually i think this is better than no world for tomorrow there's nothing on no world for tomorrow that is there's, as good as like you know like you say shoulders or i would oh, say definitely not even comatose so yeah 
Yeah, I mean, No World Tomorrow, you've got the title track and you've got uh, Gravemakers and Gunslingers. Those are the two standouts for me and they don't come close to shoulders. Try. Not even Feathers? Eh, Feathers is alright. Uh, actually, oh no. That's a great tune. I mean, I've absolutely word, i'm glad we're not recording the video for this oh yeah god fuck that you don't need to see me i did <laughs> actually did like whitney houston uh arm yeah, yeah. Yeah. no uh running free is good as well isn't it yeah running free was going to be the other one before mm. you did that beautiful rendition come on all right fine uh good well there you go code and cambria the back with a banger Vaxis 2, A Window of the Waking Mind is out now. It's been out for a little while. You've probably heard it. Sorry we didn't review it before. One more album that we're going to be talking about comes from Bad Breeding. The album is called Human Capital. It's a fourth album from the Hereford-based hardcore punks, the follow-up to 2019's Exiled record. Now, I saw this band, Bad Breeding, had been hotly tipped, Sam, Um and I saw them in 2019. I remember going, oh, they've been hotly tipped as an exciting new band. And the tipping, that hot tipping that was done to them, uh, as you pointed out to me, was actually done in 2015. So mental. Time flies, doesn't it? Time flies yeah. when you're, well, whatever. The hardcore punk band from Stevenage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they from Stevenage? I put Hereford. Yeah, they are, yeah. Silly man. Oh, uh, well, I, I saw, well, I swear I saw Stevenage on the Bandcamp Daily. Um, so... At the time of recording, two days ago, they were just featured as album of the day for Human Capital on Bandcamp. So, okay. Yeah. Stevenage and Hereford are very different. So I've obviously, I feel like I've misread that. I mean, I'm I'm probably worse at geography than you, so yeah. They're from, we'll they're from the UK. Yeah. <laughs> so that this is, it. yeah, this is basically a, a raucous load of 80s inspired punk. It's a sound that I think... You don't normally hear new bands doing so much. So I kind of wanted to talk about it because I think it's like borrows a bit from, it's not got the D beat thing, but it's a bit of sort of discharge. It's got a bit of sort of GBH. It's got that kind of 80s, even touches of, I mean, it's nowhere near as sort of melodic as this, but even your pills and your joy divisions are slightly represented in it as well. But it very much feels like a band who are inspired by that kind of 80s UK punk rock. And that's kind of rare, I think. Um, saying that, I don't know that they're the best, the best at doing it. I did think when this started, we were going to get something really mad because it starts with what sounds like bagpipes. Mm. And then it goes into a kind of Joy Division-y bass line. And then it just goes mental. And I thought it started really well. There's a really weird swerve in terms of pace on the first song, Community. And I thought, God, this is great. This is fucking great. Um, I'm not sure that it, it it is all as good as that, though. I would agree. I think it starts off excellently, to be honest. Yeah, um, as you say, kind of, yeah, the real kind of noisy cacophony to start off with. And then that drive-in post-punk bass line. I mean, it is, you know, it is in that pill you know, mould and everything. I suppose, actually, for me, it felt more contemporary post-punk, more so than 80s, but, the, you know, they're much of a muchness, yeah. really. I mean, I'm more talking in terms of production, I think, than anything. Mm. But, yeah, when um, Chris Dodd jumps in, I mean, it is, yeah, it's Discharge. It's 
you know all those hardcore bands of the 80s uh, i think crass would be a great uh, mm-hmm. comparison point as well because it is it's fiercely anarcho-punk as well yeah. as being hardcore punk and post-punk and every prefix you want to give to punk really um but yeah the album it's good like it's fun um i i've just seen actually they're playing the chameleon in nottingham uh next week i might pop along i'll see uh, if we can get the time off work basically because i'm sure they'd be a uh pretty ferocious live band um based on this evidence but yeah the, the album it's a bit well it's weird it's one paced but it doing two different things which is mm-hmm. you have the fast hardcore song then you have the slower post-punk song and then back and forth and back and forth mm. and yeah that's kind of it it pretty much stays in the same gear or one of two different gears throughout uh, i think the title track which goes for that kind of post-punk thing is actually co- is great but i think other bands are currently doing that to quite a, a bit of a higher standard to be honest but i did so for me it's songs like prescription and archive and archives are less than two minutes long. The fury, the sort of the absolute, just unhinged fury of those songs is for me where this record is at its best. And if they had done that for, I don't know, 20 minutes and then mm. quit it, I would have gone, wow, what a very, very exciting one pace, but just generally like visceral, spittle fueled phlegm ball of a record this is great right but i actually weirdly think that by expanding their sound out a bit it makes the record slightly less interesting which is a it feels like an odd thing to say but i do think you know i'd rather have 12 minutes of minor threat than half an hour of a not so good discharge mixed with a not so good Bauhaus mixed with a not so good you know idols oh god idols they're not gonna like you for that but yes um they're probably yeah i know no no. oh well oh well um but no i completely agree i think yeah if they'd have really focused on one thing and done it brilliantly so like um i don't know if you've heard uh there was an album that came out from a band called the flex first album in eight years came out this year called i was called chewing gum for the mind i believe it's called 17 minutes uh, 10 to 14 tracks can't remember off the top of my head but it's just straightforward hardcore goes you know through loads of different tempo changes and rhythm changes and stuff like that but it and it sticks in one lane but it's ultimately a lot more gratifying than i think what bad breeding have brought us here yeah well i haven't heard that but um but yeah yeah like i can see why that would be the case i mean there's a song in it called death march which is another fast one but the riff and the bass line just really interesting together and i really really like that and i was like there's definitely something here where you guys can do that particular thing like to a fucking ridiculously high standard like a really really high standard like that those that song is great and it doesn't quite sound although you go well it's just punk rock in it i haven't quite heard those that riff i haven't quite heard those sounds in that way very much you know um and it's decent it's decent enough and live like i saw them supporting uniform in 2019 oh nice and yeah and i they were good do you know what i mean they were good and i could sort of see that i mean but when we speak you would speak we were speaking i was like oh they were featured in the guardian and you were like that was quite a long time ago and i was like yeah i mean i can see why they sort of got dropped by the guardian in 2015 really or they you know they, that wasn't really followed up on because this is like really sort of harsh sounding it's a very very harsh sounding record so you know th- this is like yeah they're not going to like being compared to idols because idols i think are more interested in um you know actually writing songs rather than just making a big old fucking racket and i think like they're really really good at writing 
songs that are just a big old fucking racket that's their strong suit i think mm. yeah it's nasty it's noisy it's angry as anything and like yeah i, I think it's a good album um but uh, not much more than that for for my tastes if you are massively into that kind of 80s punk thing i think you will probably go oh great a, a new band playing that sort of thing and that will be something that interests you i think if you're not I'm not sure this is going to change your mind particularly. But it's all right. You know what I mean? It's pretty good. It's pretty good, broadly speaking. Uh, I've got nothing else to say about it other than that. You want to sum up anything, Sam? Uh, I think, yeah, nail on the head. It's a good album. That's kind of all there is to it. Mm. Human Capital by Bad Breeding. That is out now. Now, um, before we go, we should just say about a few things. Uh, here's something I was going to chuck in, actually. I, I didn't tell you about this, Sam. But, um, oh, do you want I don't know how you feel about this, but... Um, would you like if you were going oh, i miss blur and if i have to get a solo album from one of their members who would i most like to get a solo album from as a member of blur how high up on that list would drummer dave roundtree be i mean i'm glad you prefaced him as drummer because i don't know who that is <laughs> okay so dave roundtree's got a solo album from blur's got a solo album coming out and i'm just a bit like I mean, you were always just the drummer in Blur. Like, do you know what I mean? I, it, it sounds really harsh to say it, because but I think Damon Albarn, obviously, done a load of stuff. Graham Coxon's gone and done his solo stuff as well. Even Alex James, people are like, oh, he's the cheese man. The cheese man from, he's a farmer now, he's a cheese man from Blur. The cheese man. I know you, you're the cheese man. So you've got the cheese man, the gorillas man, the specky sort of punk rock guitarist man and someone else and that someone else has gone hey guys i'm releasing a solo album this has got no thank you written all over it hasn't it i mean i don't even like blur albums so i'm definitely not gonna listen to it steve i didn't know you didn't like blur well no not really i yeah no i I don't like blur sorry yeah it's a harsh thing to it's a harsh thing to bring up like why are you releasing he can do what he wants I just was like, it's a funny person to do. Like, I, I, you're like, you'd have to, like, I, I love Blur. Mm. You'd have to really love Blur to want to hear Dave Roundtree's solo album, surely. Well, I mean, you never know. Strange things have happened. I mean, Ringo Strange had things a very have successful, con- oh, damn it. So I ruined the bloody segue there. Try you again. Did. Well, no, 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 it's too, it's, I said I don't want to do much editing on this week's podcast, so I'm not, <laughs> you blew it, Sam, you had oh, a chance, you blew it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, um, Dave, Dave Roundtree, I like, yeah, I like, uh, it sounds, it seems a bit harsh, I should, maybe I shouldn't have brought this up, poor Dave Roundtree, what's he ever done to me, apart from play drums on albums that I really, really like with people <laughs> that are more talented than him, uh, let's move on, Stranger Things, right? So, I, do you watch Stranger Things? I don't know. Uh, I'm obviously aware of it. You know, it's a massive part mm. of the cultural zeitgeist. I think I've watched the first 20 minutes of the first episode of the first season, and I just thought, eh, it's not really for me. I watched most of the first season. I can't remember any of it, really. Um, and I just sort of got a bit, like, fatigued, but i just never gone back to it. And it's become massive. Now, obviously, Kate Bush went to number one, uh, as we have spoken about in this podcast after being featured on Stranger Things. And now a similar thing has happened with Metallica. Master of Puppets has been used on a recent Stranger Things 
episode, uh, which I haven't seen the clip, just like I haven't seen the Kate Bush clip, so I don't know where it's come from. But it means that it's entered back into the Spotify Top 50 trending charts in the US, the UK, and beyond. And um, yeah, a load of people are now like delighted to be fucking discovering Metallica for the first time through that particular medium stranger things which of course like i've tried to avoid it to be honest mm. like i saw people saying stuff about kate bush and i thought it was good because i was like yeah good kate if people like kate bush that's good and i'm glad people are getting into metallica what i'm not glad about and i you know i haven't even seen this but i'm just convinced that there will be loads of people going oh well, you discovered metallica oh, i saw them with dave mustaine so i've just sort of avoided i've just sort of avoided it i don't know if you've seen uh, so, any of the sort of online discourse or what's been going on with this at all? I've only seen one. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who I saw it. Who's, who I saw post it on Twitter? But I've seen a. I've got a screen grab from. I believe it's from Metallica's TikTok account, um, which is not something I'm interested in. But uh, it was a uh, user <laughs> Nirvana is God Tier Three saying, "I'm sorry, Metallica, for all the fake Stranger Things fans. Love you." And to be fair, to Metallica's credit. They replied, don't be sorry. Everyone's welcoming the Metallica family. If they like puppets, chances are they'll find plenty of other songs to get into. Hopefully, Swiss Beats and Jar Rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the best Metallica song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I think actually they've just done a story on I've just noticed on Laura they've done a story uh, on, on Metal Hammer. They've just done a story of Metallica slapping down an elitist fan. Go on, son. Um, yeah, I mean, look, fucking hell. However you get into a band is how you get into a band, right? It doesn't fucking matter as long as you get into them. I mean... We'll, we'll probably when we talk about Depeche Mode on the thing that we're going to talk about I'm probably going to talk about I mean it's probably it's not as weird but discovering Depeche Mode on the chart show it's not a cool way to discover a band is it like oh I heard them on the chart show I think I heard Sepultura on the fucking chart show as well like what am I supposed to do just go I've decided I'm going to get into metal you don't just decide you're going to get into stuff you hear something you go oh that's cool I'd like to hear that like don't be a dick about it. But anyway, I'm just moaning now. I'm just moaning. Um, but it's good. I mean, it's good that people are listening to Kate Bush. It's good that people are listening to Metallica. And it got me thinking about... We've spoken about this a fair few times, but I thought I'd get your thoughts on it, Sam. Songs taking on a life of their own in the aftermath of being used in film and television. There are certain songs that you think of now and you can't help but think about their usage in a particular thing. I mean, obviously that might depend on your age and stuff. I think we've spoken about it a lot of times, quite a few times recently on this show. The end by The Doors and Apocalypse Now. Like, I like The Doors and I've always liked The Doors, but for me, every time I hear the end, Apocalypse Now just pops into my head. That is the thing. Have you seen Apocalypse Now? You surely have, haven't you? I have, yes. Um, once, and it was years ago. I mean, and mm. yeah, bloody hell. You know, we're talking about <laughs> Trailer Dead albums being exhausting. Crikey, that's that's a watch. It is, yeah. I mean, it's fucking great. Though. I mean, it's an amazing film. But oh, like, do you remember? Do you, do you remember that scene with the with the the end coming in? Like, very powerful. Oh, absolutely. Very, very good. Um, yes, I would also say. I mean, I remember being in the cinema again for Metallica in Zombieland for whom the bell tolls at the start of Zombieland. Like, that is such a great fucking opening to a film, and to have for whom the bell tolls being played over the top of it as all these people are getting like slaughtered by zombies it's wicked oh, absolutely yeah. fucking wicked so good um you got any others that you can think of that um 
really yeah. stand out? Yeah, I've got I've got a fair few. I mean, I think um, the big one that you know uh, I think springs to mind for most people. Uh, stuck in the middle by Steelers Wheel in Reservoir Dogs, I think surely is uh, yeah. apart from maybe the end by the doors is the apex of this. It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, because that is a song that I was totally unfamiliar with. Like I don't know if it was a, a hit before Reservoir Dogs. I know I'd certainly never heard it before, mm. and then suddenly it was getting played on the radio and everyone knew it. And it's weird because, I mean, that scene was so. You're probably too young to remember this, Sam. But the, the the controversy... I remember the controversy surrounding Reservoir Dogs and how it was banned and how this scene was, like, fucking absolutely the most shocking, disgusting thing that anyone has ever seen. And you see it and you're like, well... You obviously don't actually see anything. But it is, you know, it's still a, a, still a grotesquely shocking, nasty, like, sadistic scene. But with this fucking song played over the top of it, which then went on to become like a hit again. Um, I mean, we did talk about the fact that we were going to mention this and you mentioned it. And I mentioned to you <laughs> something which I don't think you were familiar with prior to us recording, Absolutely which is not. the Louise Redknapp cover of that song. I mean, this song became so big that you're getting pop stars like Louise Redknapp doing covers of it which was a thing for a while but what i really thought was mad about it was if you go back and watch the video it is a recreation of that scene but done with the dance routine and louise redknapp dressed like and it's all like they've got a guy in the in the back of their cadillac in the boot and they're all in suits and they tie him up in a warehouse and i just thought who's this for it, it's bizarre. You watched yeah. it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I watched it. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. It's um, I mean, yeah. Just why? Why would you turn? You know, what is quite a grisly scene that is well juxtaposed with a pretty, not only poignant but also quite thematically polar song. Why have you turned it into a burlesque routine where you write writing with lipstick on his head? They write please on the guy's head yeah. when because she goes over and she goes over to his ear and she's got a thing in a like where. Obviously, you know, Mr. Mr. Blonde, isn't it? Um, it takes the the knife out of his, the flick knife out of his boot. And she takes a fucking lipstick out of her boot and then goes to like write. And it's like, it's really close to, you know, a, a parody to think. And I just thought to myself, Louise Redknapp's fan base, right? Louise Redknapp's fan base are not going to be familiar with Reservoir Dogs. Like they're not going to be, so they're probably looking at this video and being like, "What? Oh, it's a they've got a man and like, and the people that are familiar with it are just going to look at it and go, "What on earth are you doing? Parodying Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> recreating one of the most controversial scenes in cinema history for your like <laughs> your early two thousands pop cover." Of the Steelers' will song, it it it's just it is one of the maddest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. It's fuck- it is absolutely fucking bananas. Absolutely that. fucking bizarre, mate. I just uh-huh. although I will say, you know, obviously Tarantino missed a trick by not giving Michael Madsen tearaway trousers. So 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, you think if Michael Madsen had done like the sort of the tearaway trousers, like Buck's fist, maybe he should have a mini skirt, and then Harvey Keitel could have pulled his <laughs> mini skirt off, like uh, like Buck's fist, and then that would have probably knocked Reservoir Dogs to an eighteen or you know to to a fifteen. Um, it, it just a really really weird thing to do. I'm trying to think like what what else could you do in sort of pop music that would be so like. Mm. Not, no, not really sure about that. That is a, a really odd thing to do. Maybe. Like it would be... Oh, uh, I was going to say maybe a cover of Fever, of, uh, Fever for the Flavour set to scenes from Sallow, 120 Days of Sodom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that scene in Irreversible where no, he's um, no. smashing the guy in the face with a fucking fire extinguisher. Maybe, you know, if you were to do a, a, a cover of... Um, Jetain by you know that Jetain, ooh, jetain. and you're smashing a guy that'd be brilliant and maybe get like um yeah maybe get like uh kimberly walsh from girls allowed to do it as a solo single with her sitting on a man smashing him in the face with a fire extinguisher brilliant really weird really fucking weird but as you pointed out one of many weird sort of girl band pop sort of bubblegum pop covers from that time of like songs that just didn't really work in that format yeah i mean as i said it's kind of almost the inverse of the new metal cover isn't it it is yeah it was a bit like that jessica simpson doing uh these boots are made for walking mm. for the jukes of oh, hazard yeah, that wasn't, oh, no not very no. good no 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 thank you <laughs> but like again one of the things one of the other things you said was uh still better than the breathy john lewis piano cover yeah would would still have louise redknapp parodying Reservoir Dogs torture scenes uh, in pop videos rather than fucking Lily Allen doing a Keen song or Breathily on a piano. Rubbish. Um, Absolutely pathetic. I'll tell you one that also sticks out in my mind quite a lot. In my mind. Where's my mind? But a Pixies on Fight Club. The end of Fight Club. Fucking, that's class. And I loved seeing people being like, what is this song? I remember a lot of people at the time, obviously pre-internet, so you didn't really get that. But I do remember a lot of people being like, what even is this song? And like, it's used so brilliantly and it got, I think loads of people got into the Pixies on the back of that fight. I mean, I did, you know, obviously I didn't see Fight Club when it came out, but when I was of an age where, you know, mum let me borrow the DVD or whatever. uh, Yeah, I discovered Pixies through it because it's, yeah, such a, as you say, superb use of that song uh, against, well, that scene. Mm, yeah it's fucking awesome um i want to shout out fight the power at the start of I mean, i've already mentioned do the right yeah. thing but fight the power at the start of do the right thing with rosie perez dancing mm-hmm. and like obviously public enemy already i would have thought at that point considered a pretty important band but i think giving them that platform in hollywood at the start like the opening credits to such a kind of viscerally powerful film like it makes loads of sense and again that would have to have been the first time i heard public enemy and i was just like what the actual fuck is Mm. this this is like mad shit and that scene is like the colors her dancing like so good so good Oh, absolutely it's a hell of a statement um i mean yeah iconic naturally isn't it like absolutely as we are talking about um i mean i would i would want to throw in uh well a couple uh, I mean, I've not seen the film. However, you can't overlook Everybody's Talking from Midnight Cowboy, the Harry, Harry Nielsen film. Oh, yeah, of uh, course. Harry Nielsen song, mm-hmm. sorry, from the film. Uh, 
One yep. you'll like that came to mind. Hit to be square in American Psycho. Mate, I've got that on mm. my list. I've absolutely got that on my list. I fucking... I, like, I, 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 I've talked... I'm obsessed with American Psycho. I don't know why I've suddenly become really weirdly obsessed with American Psycho. I think it's fucking brilliant. And I've been reading the book and it's just so horrible. Did I tell you I was reading the book on the train? Have I said this on the podcast? I was reading the book on the train. No, I was reading it on the... I went up to London early in the morning uh, a few months ago and I was reading American Psycho and um the, uh, it was packed and some sort of at the next stop some sort of quite a young girl came and sat down uh, on the busy train next to me and you know when you can feel people looking at you and you know like, what's going on well i was sort of reading american psycho and i could feel a pair of eyes sort of looking in my direction and this girl was looking down at the book and I was on a page where he was like, oh, and then I stuck a knife in her ass and all that, like, <laughs> fucking horrible, horrible shit. And I was just like, <laughs> and she was looking at the page and her eyes were like popping out. At the, like, what the fuck is this guy reading? Um, so I was just a bit like, oh, God, I feel like a bit of a weirdo now. But yeah, Hipsy Square is like, again, absolutely iconic scene. It was already a big mm. song, obviously, but... Um, I think Huey Lewis and News got a bit pissed off because people started going, oh, American Psycho at him. And they were like, I don't want to think about... I mean, I think if any time Jared Leto is getting murdered, it's fine. I think yeah. you should be delighted that you are the soundtrack yeah. to that. But um, yeah, apparently Huey Lewis wasn't that keen on um, on being continually reminded of that song being an American Psycho. Quite a lot of people pulled out of American Psycho, the movie, due to the controversial nature of its sound. I don't know if you... I no, wasn't that. aware of that. No, I mean, I can completely understand it. Rolex. Rolex wouldn't let them use the word Rolex in the film. Because in the mm. book, he's always like, my Rolex, my Rolex, my Rolex. Um, and the Rolex were like, you cannot fucking use our name in the film. So, yeah. Anyway, good, good film. And I don't know why I'm weirdly obsessed with it. Uh, I'd like to chuck in Tiny Dancer by Elton John on Almost Famous, which again, you know, a, fa a famous song, but that scene where they're all in a mood with each other and they start singing Tiny Dancer on the bus, I think is just like, it's fucking brilliant. And it really, like, I think that's one of the best encapsulations of why music is brilliant. Because all those people that hate each other hear one song and by the end of it, they're all friends again and no words have been said. They just sing along with this song and what a fucking song it is as well. Amazing. It's an amazing tune. I, unfortunately, I've not seen mm. Almost Famous. So I, I, I know the scene you're referring to, but I've not seen it in context. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a wonderful song to soundtrack it. Um, in a similar vein, uh, a a massive song, wasn't at the time that this happened, but uh, and maybe a uh, slightly different mood shift, but uh, Bohemian Rhapsody in Wayne's World yeah, I mean, you know, like, definitely. Definitely. Because, mm. I mean, the thing that, like, what's interesting about Tiny Dancer, just go back to it really quickly, and I think this isn't as true with Bohemian Rhapsody, but it sort of is relevant, I think. Like, Tiny Dancer wasn't even, if you bought an Elton John Greatest Hits, he released, like, two or three Greatest Hits um, in the sort of late 80s into the early 90s. Tiny Dancer was not on any of those Greatest Hits. And if you now were to be like, oh, the best of Elton John, Tiny Dancer would absolutely be on there. I think it was a single, but I don't think it was, like, considered a massive single by elton john like back in the day certainly wasn't considered you know like a candle of the wind or don't let the sun go down on me or i'm still standing anything like that and it has become that i and i think it is mm. mainly due to almost famous i think it is mainly due to that and bohemian rhapsody again like obviously a massive song a fucking massive song but 
I don't think like I don't really maybe it's just me you know and my age and stuff but I don't really remember hearing it throughout the kind of 80s and I mean even like Queen at Live Aid they do a bit of it at Live Aid Queen mm. but they don't really kind of lean in on it like it's this is our big song you know and then Wayne's World comes along and everyone's like it just changed the way I think people even listen to that song because the headbanging like that bit that became like oh we all headbanged that bit now and I don't think like I don't think that was a thing before Wayne's World so even sort of it reinvigorated the song, introduced it to a whole new audience of people, and even sort of changed the way that people listen to it, I think. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, uh, similarly, uh, not a big song before. Uh, I didn't realise this wasn't written for the film, but uh, in terms of the massive booster profile and changing the way that people perceive it, um, Tubular Bells by Mark Oldfield as the Exorcist theme. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That wasn't written for the... No, it was it was written in advance of The Exorcist. They did have um, a, an orchestral score written for it and essentially, almost at the 11th hour, scrapped it and then discovered this Mike Oldfield... Uh, well, it wouldn't have been a 7-inch, but this Mike Oldfield track and, yeah, they just asked if they could use it for the film and now it's, I didn't the, know it's, part, of the, you know, it's part of the iconography of The Exorcist, of horror cinema in general. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, man. Just hearing that, I, I wonder if that would have been scary if it wasn't linked to it because you look, think of it and you're like i mean it's not necessarily like it just sounds like horror music i mean i can't i can't separate it at this point do you know what i mean like you can't you can't actually separate it from the exorcist at this point i think it's impossible yeah. but i'm trying to sort of go in my head like well i wonder if were i to have been someone who heard that prior to the release of the exorcist if i'd have gone all oh, this music sounds really creepy i don't thinking about the actual song yeah, it's quite creepy, isn't it? It is quite creepy. It is, yeah, but I think it's um I mean obviously it had its profile boosted massively, but yeah, I think that association just makes it sound evil. You know, before I think I mean, it's so hard to abstract yourself from knowing it in terms of the exercise. Yeah, really hard. Yeah. Um but it's like yeah, I mean I suppose yeah, chord sequences and structures and progressions, things like that. Yeah, it it's in a bunch of kind of diminished minor keys, you know. It does sound unpleasant, but I think, yeah, the exercise turned it into an evil piece of music it it really really did yeah it's fucking terrifying now mm. absolutely fucking terrifying um got any more i i don't um, there's no more that we haven't mentioned off the top of my head that i can think of so uh if you've got any more then feel free to to shout them out uh, i've got a couple more that uh i'd shout out um i think less so in terms of you know bringing it back into the cultural zeitgeist but uh don't stop me now in Shaun of the dead is you know used fantastically as is basically yeah. all music in every single edgar, edgar wright film Mm-hmm. yeah that's true yeah that, yeah don't stop me now is that is fucking brilliant i mean yeah again that that felt like i don't know like yeah that was a pretty big queen song i reckon i mean maybe it's just because my particular friend group uh really loved it mm. but um i don't know how big it actually was but it's become like one of the main queen songs now yeah it? absolutely and uh, yeah i reckon that probably did play a, a, a fairly big part in in that becoming you know a thing culturally relevant again i suppose yeah mm. um one that i'd like to uh what sort of posit to you i mean it's certainly not made the mega stars or anything but i think it really helped build the profile of not only these, these two artists but the genre as a whole is um in uh miami disco by perturbator and roller mobster by carpenter brute were used in the video games hotline miami and hotline miami 2 respectively and i think that did wonders for getting synthwave kind of 
even further out of the underground into a bit more of the cultural zeitgeist. I mean, I'm you know, obviously Carbon's Brute are not not enormous. I mean, they're doing are they doing Shepherd's Bush Empire later this year? Yeah, I think? Doing, yeah, yeah, so yeah. They, yeah. Do, they can do a couple of right thousand people in London. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, mate, I have no idea. This is the thing, right? Games and stuff, because obviously, like, I would chuck in like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, mm. like anything that got on that, right? I mean, what was it like? Um, the, there was a Goldfinger song that was on that, and I remember suddenly people were like, "Oh yeah, fucking Superman by Goldfinger!" Mm. Oh my god, yeah, Superman! Like that was on it, and you know, "Close to No Cigar" by Mill and Colin. I remember like Mill and Colin suddenly getting like this massive, like supercharged boost from you know being a band who could barely fill the LA two to suddenly you know playing like the Forum and getting on the main stage at the Ozfest and stuff like that. And that did seem to be like it seemed to be like a lot of bands who were on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater suddenly had this massive fucking boost in profile. A bit like the kind of the the skate and surf videos, which initially broke uh, a lot of the you know that kind of association with skate and surf culture initially kind of broke the Pennywises and No Effects and Rancid and Green Days and all those bands mm. back in the early part of the nineties. Happened again, but I know so little really about gaming these days that I would be like, oh yeah, if you get yourself on a on a game that ends up being big, that's definitely going to b- boost your profile, definitely, undoubtedly. But I can't really say with any degree of accuracy exactly how much that did. I mean, I was not even aware of that. I'm not even aware of those games, to be perfectly honest. No, I mean, I would say they, they uh, well, certainly upon release, you know, Hotline Miami was a very small game, but it's built a real big cult reputation. And I think the reason I bring this these two particular examples in, in terms of gaming, is that I think... It was in the the synth wave kind of aesthetic, uh, you know, obviously the vibrant technical and everything like that. Hotline Miami fit into that, so it was almost part of the subculture. And as it grew, it was helping bring up these artists who, you know, these musicians who are now uh, reaping some benefit from that. I mean, I'm not saying it's wholly responsible, but I think it's, I don't know, it'd be in- interesting to look into, I think. I think anything that you get where you're exposed to a different fan base of people who are interested in games or, you know, a, a TV show or, do you know what I mean? Like, I think anything that happens that you suddenly, your music is played on whatever and becomes like a focus. And particularly if it's tied in like, you know, like you say to this sort of 80s synth wavy. I mean, that's why the Strangest Things thing is working so well. Because the people who are watching Stranger Things are like, oh my God, Yes, the 80s aesthetic. Oh, how I love the 80s aesthetic. Oh, here's this really iconic 80s song by Kate Bush, Stroke Metallica. I love it. Do you know what I mean? Like those, it, they are perfectly tied in. I think a lot of things that we've been talking about, they are just like, oh, this song made a really big impact. You know, well, I guess like Wayne's World, um, Bohemian Rhapsody that obviously fits in as part of their personality. The that sort of culture. people that want to yeah. would, would go and watch Wayne's World would be like, yes, I like that thing as well. Um, by all accounts, just on Wayne's World as well, for a little interesting fact, apparently Penelope Spheris, the director of Wayne's World, wanted to use Guns N' Roses in that scene and Mike Myers put his foot down and went, absolutely not, it has to be Bohemian Rhapsody. It has to be Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think you're probably right, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think I mean, any time you're a band and you get the exposure, any kind of exposure in that way, I think is is going to be good for your career. But particularly if you can kind of, like I say, laser focus it down to the exact type of people that would be interested in that type of thing. And yeah, those synthwave bands being in computer games are, you know, like what were the games called again? Uh, they're called uh, it's Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami 2. 
So that's like a sort of Miami Vice style thing, is it, right? Mm, aesthetically, yes. I mean, it's more, uh, it's, it's close to a Clockwork Orange. It's basically just kind of ultraviolence, but it's a commentary on that ultraviolence. And it's quite a convoluted story that I shan't bore your listeners with right now. But go and play the games. They're brilliant. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got it. I've got it in front of me now. I'm looking at it now. I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes loads of sense. I've never even heard of these games before, but they look quite good. There's a lot of blood, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Dearie yes. me. What a lot of blood. Didn't need to be. That seems a bit OTT, uh, he says, whilst reading uh, American Psycho, <laughs> American Psycho <laughs> constantly. Um, <laughs> all right. Good. Well, yeah, I don't have any more to mention. I think we've kind of gone through that, really. Just a little end bit. But thanks, Sam. Nice to speak to you again. Nice to have you on the show. Hope you're good. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed that. Yes, thank you, Steve. I did. Yes, it was yeah, lovely. Good. We're going to talk about Depeche Mode for a little bit now. You're not going to hear that. We're going to t- we're going to end the show, and then that will be that. Uh, next week on the show, we are going to be talking about Pearl Jam Live, which I'm going to, and of course, finally, after years and years of waiting, Duran Duran set foot on stage with me in the audience, and I'll be giving you a second by second account of exactly what happened when I shared the same oxygen as the legendary Simon Le Bon. Just going to take a little minute there to just think about the the glory of that moment. Uh, you going to see anything over the next week or so, Sam, that we might talk about next week? Got anything lined up? Uh, unfortunately, I've not got I've not got anything planned. I mean, I have seen Portrayal of Guilt are playing Sheffield with Hidden Mothers, I believe. So I might try and get to that, but I, I don't want to promise anything. Okay, good. Yeah, that's fine. Don't and never, never promise anything. But anyway, we'll be back next week. <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in. Go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets. You can put the code riotactatg into the checkout and you'll get 10% off and we will see you down there for a rainy, lovely, math rock filled time. Thanks very much for listening, guys. See you next week.